who are just listening, my guest today is Paige LeBaron Peoples. Did I say that correctly? Yes. And she's in Tennessee today visiting from Mississippi. What part of Mississippi? Starkville, Mississippi, home of Mississippi State University Bulldogs. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I read part of your story today. You sent that to me. Um, yep. And for those that don't know, she sent me her story, and I was like, I don't know if I want to read this. Yes. I got about into the second paragraph. I was at work. <laughs> I'm reading that second or third paragraph, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to read this. I don't know where this is going. I'm at work. I don't need to focus on this. <laughs> I'll put it away. And then um, I thought about it, and I thought, do I want to read it? You and I had that discussion, and then um, the woman that I'm dating her and I were talking about she said well have you read it yet no <laughs> don't you think you ought to I said I don't know and so we talked and she saw my point but she's also very kind in that hey you, you just make your decision so this morning I'm like okay I need to read this and so I, I read through it this morning but oh, yay. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that what's going on in Mississippi I mean I just met your daughter yes how old is she? She's eight. She's our princess. Oh, wow. She likes to think she is anyway. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you teach your children, so why not? <laughs> maybe you taught her to think uh, she's the princess. Of course. Of course. We have to. Yeah. We do teach both of our kids. They can be whatever they want to be. Now, your son's name is? His name is Hayden. Okay. And daughter is Michaela. Yes. And Hayden is 16? Is 16, yes. Did he visit with you guys? Uh, yes. Yes, okay. he is doing whatever he wants to do at this moment, <laughs> which is what he wants to do, so that's fine. And they've been here before because I met them last year. Oh, yeah. We come up here as often as we can. I still consider this kind of my home away from home. So So how old were you when you left? Uh, I moved away from here during the middle of my senior year in high school. It was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do, but uh, my father lost his job, and when he found a job, it, we just had to leave whenever, whenever he found one, and it just happened to be in the middle of my senior year, and so I had to leave and move to Mississippi with my parents, and that was where I finished my senior year. And it was it was one of the hardest things that, that I ever had to do. It kind of kind of started that that ball of rebelling uh-huh. when I when I first moved down there. And so it was it was really hard. It was really hard. I kind of started started acting out as soon as I moved down there. But you know the decision was mine. I was offered to stay here in Mississippi and not Mississippi, stay in Tennessee and finish my senior year. But at that point, I had never been away from my parents for probably more than five or six days ever. Right. And I just could not imagine being away from them. And so I made the decision to move with them. And kind of that was the start of it. Life-changing decisions. Yes. You know, I kind of always wonder what it would have been like had I stayed here. But, you know, I'm finally at a point in my life where I don't, I don't look back at, on those decisions, you know, every every decision that I've made up to this point has made me who I am, and I'm okay with that now. That's a big, um, that's a huge realization to make. Yes, it took me a long time to get there. Right, because <laughs> I long time. I've personally gone back with a lot of my decisions in life, and you know, you go back and you do the what if. Yes. What if I'd have went this way? What if I'd have went that way? And the reality is, you didn't. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So how do we in this moment, not that moment, because right. that moment's gone, right. how do I in this moment write this next chapter? Right. 
And part of that takeaway is those decisions got me here. Right. What decisions today are going to get me there, wherever there is? And that's part of what you have to do. Right. What, 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 what I want there to be. Yep. So well, it's interesting. Yep. Uh, so you're involved with uh, Celebrate Recovery. Yes. yes. Okay. What's that? Celebrate Recovery is a uh, 12-step recovery process. Um, it is a Christ-centered recovery, um, recovery-based recovery ministry. Um, it started over 25 years ago in um, California at um, Rick Warren's church, actually. Yes. Purpose Driven Life, yes. Uh, John Baker and his wife actually started this ministry years and years ago. I had never, ever heard about it until my story got to where it got. And um, they, this is absolutely the most wonderful ministry that I have ever been a part of. Never thought that my story would get to where it is. But um, they started this ministry years and years ago and they reach out to so many people and i'm kind of stumbling now but that's okay we'll get it's to okay. where we'll it's okay it's a podcast we can do whatever we want we'll get Talk to about where how we need we to go um the greatest thing that i love about <clears throat> this ministry is that it is not just about addiction it is about so much more it can be about actually the people that come to this ministry only one in four people that come to come to this ministry deal with addiction issues we have people that come here that deal with if you deal with we, we call it the hurts habits and hang-ups okay so if you deal with um, anxiety or stress it could be a death in the family uh, codependency which is what we were kind of talking about earlier we have so many people that deal with that um, it can be any anything that any I always say there is not a single person in this room right here that doesn't have an issue with something in their life that they can't benefit from this ministry and the only thing is is that people just have to admit that they have an issue with something and then be willing to work on it yeah and that is the most beautiful thing about this ministry is that you know I came in to this particular ministry dealing with addiction but I found out so much more about myself. And even today, I am almost four years clean, but I found out that I, that I struggle with so much more. And I continue to come because I continue to work on myself because I am I'm human. I right. deal with so much more other stuff now. You know, like today, I deal with anger. I did not realize how much anger I had in myself, but here I am. And I can use this ministry and the steps that I've learned through it to deal with that. Hmm. I, that, that's fascinating because when I talk to people about things like addiction or, well, we'll just stick with addiction because that's such a broad, encompassing thing. The addiction isn't the problem. There was something else that led to that problem. And what I like about what I'm hearing about this ministry is in one sense it realizes that and it says, okay, the addiction is a problem. It's not the underlying problem. What's this underlying problem? What's this? Maybe it was a death. Maybe it was some PTSD. Maybe it was some anger. And because I don't know how to cope with that properly, mm -hmm. I'm finding these other ways to numb it. Yeah. Uh, that was certainly my case. <clears throat> 
when I allowed alcohol to have too much of my life. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, you're alone. You're dealing with that frustration, that anger, that depression, and the only thing I know to do is, okay, if I can just numb this for a little bit, I can get through tomorrow. Um, the irony in that is I, of all people, should have known that's not a good idea, right? I'd been a pastor. I'd studied this. I'd worked with people. But you're not, you're not in your right frame set, and you're looking for that immediate, that immediate thing. Yeah. So, I get that. Do you get that? I, I totally get that. You know, one of the things that I love about this ministry is that you have other people to walk along beside you. You have such a good support system of people who know what you're going through. They may not have walked the same road that you're walking, mm -hmm. but they know, they know how you're feeling. And they're there to walk with you mm -hmm. and to just hold your hand and to be there as accountability partners with you. And that's the greatest thing is that you are not alone. You know, yes. God never meant us to walk this road alone. That was my thing when I was going through my, let's say my darkness, my wilderness, right? if you will. When I was going through it, you feel like you're the only one and nobody's ever gone through something as dark and as deep and as painful and as hurtful as you. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you realize, actually, mom was pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, mine turned out pretty good. I didn't end up here I didn't right you know I didn't do this and it's in one sense it's it's freeing to know that in the other sense you're like man I was such a stupid idiot oh yes and you beat yourself up yeah which isn't good yeah I, I think in some point you probably need to be beat up um, but in another point you got to get to the point where you're like okay I've done that I had a good, there were blessings in this. Let's, let's find these blessings. The, um, so yours, in your story, I found it fascinating, and this led to a discussion this morning. You were talking about growing up, and your, you and your sister were both active. Right. And one parent took one one place, another parent took one the other place, mm -hmm. and you immediately felt this uh, sense of favoritism. Yes. Yes, I did. And that's, that's hard to discuss now um, because we have since lost my father. Mm. Um, but, and I'm, you know, I, as a parent now, you always like to think that you love your children equally. And I hope that I have done a better job of this as a parent. But... I'm sure that my, my kids now will tell you that that we like one child better than the other. And so I'm not really sure how much of that is perception and how much of that was real. But in my eyes growing up, that was about as real as it could have possibly been. And I always felt like that I was always chasing. Right. That I was always chasing um, approval, if that's if that makes any sense. It does. Um, and that was something that now as an adult, I can look back at and say that that was such a big part of my psyche and that really, really formed a lot of what I felt about myself growing up and that, that really formed a lot of who I became as an adult because I found myself doing that more and more as 
as I became an adult. I chased relationships based on that. Seeking that approval. Right. And that that became a very, very big deal to me. And that that was that was hard because that that took over a lot a, a lot of my life. And that was that was very damaging because I chose relationships based on that. And some of the people that I chose to be in relationships with were very harmful. Right. And um, I'm just now real. <laughs> I'm just now kind of realizing that as you, you know, as as I go through um, some of the tools in in Celebrate Recovery that help you deal with some of this, I, I'm realizing a lot of that. And it took me a long time to realize that I think a lot of that did stem from what started off with with my dad that I think started off a lot with me and my sister mm-hmm. and um, that was kind of a new revelation within the last year or so so when I read that mm-hmm. I got to think about a lot of kids childhoods right. um, there's a gentleman I know right now he's he's a little older and his kid had said he, he spent his career uh, working very hard to provide for his family, take care of his family. And uh, his child chose a different career path. And he'd said something to his kid. He said, I don't want that life. I grew up with you in that life. And to this man, it's very, it hurts to hear that because it was never his intention to, he, he always had a great intention. We're just doing what we know best to do. And, and I don't know your father. I don't know your mom. I don't know the situation back then. But I imagine, because you said specifically in that in that article, that you were both involved in sports and activities, and Dad always took her, and Mom always took me. And I thought that doesn't necessarily mean that Dad liked her better, not you, or Mom liked yes. you better, not her. It just meant right. Mom and Dad were trying to get you guys involved in stuff, and yes. this is just the way it worked out. They did the best that they could with what they had. Yeah, they had no ill intentions if anything I, I they did not yeah I just want to I, I want to say absolutely I get why they were doing what they were doing it's just that unintended yeah I think that that ended up being a character defect that I had and I realize that now yeah. I'm able to say that I, I feel like that the problem was with me I don't feel like that the problem was with them yeah I do <laughs> I, I, ra- I, I raised the white flag I do and it's freeing to be able to say that now. I just wish that I could tell them that now. Yeah. You know, and within, you know, when all of this stuff with my addiction started, um, I can honestly say now that my daddy was the one who really, really helped me in the end to become clean. And I so, read that. Yes. He, he was the one who helped facilitate a lot of it. And so, you know, he went through the darkest trenches with me but he also helped me come out on the other side so in the end we were able to be able to have the relationship that I always craved when I was young so So how did it start I mean you got these relationships you're moving to Mississippi it's a Mm -hmm. difficult time how did the addiction start yeah well um surprisingly enough um Actually, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, sorry. It is actually not a surprise because this is what happens to so many people in um, in the world today. Um, I am. I'm not even going to say accident prone. I am just really, really have got bad luck. I guess you could say within my body because I have I have to have surgery a lot. And what just started off um, as 
I used to pride myself on whenever I would have to have a surgery, I could get off pain medicine so very quickly. And um, when we started, when Heath and I started trying to have a family, I would have to have lots of different surgeries for, I would either have ovarian cysts or they would have to try to um, do you know, exploratory surgeries to try to figure out what was going on. Nothing would ever go right. And um, I ended up having to have an ovary removed, and then I ended up having to have a hysterectomy. I was just Mm. having to have surgery after surgery. You were like 29, right? Yes. I was 29 when I had to have a full hysterectomy. And um, it was just a little thing after little thing. I would have to have surgery. Then I would have... um, issues with my intestines that would just cause lots of surgeries. I almost died one time because of a blockage in my intestine. And um, so I was just on pain medicine a lot. And I could get off of it really, really quick. And I would always pride myself on that. But then there was one particular time where I was having an issue with my hip. And I knew that there was a problem because I was in intense pain. And they kept trying to figure out what was wrong. They never could figure out what was wrong. I knew something was going on because it hurt so bad. And they kept saying, well, we're doing all these tests. We can't find anything wrong. There's nothing on the MRI. There's nothing on this. But I knew there was something wrong. And it kept hurting so bad. And finally, after I think it was about a year and a half, they did one test. And they added contrast to this one test. And they were like, there it is. It's a tear from front to back. I don't know why we couldn't see it. And so they scheduled the surgery, and it was done. But I had already been on pain medicine for so long, it was like the need was already there. Are these opioids? Yes, yes. And uh, at that point, it was, I was, I had gotten to the point where I was so frustrated because I'd have, you know, I had person after person tell me, there's nothing wrong, you just want this medicine. And that was kind of where it started. And I was like, I really don't want the medicine, but I need the medicine. And it just kind of started from there. And then after, after it was over, um, I had gotten off of them and it was okay. Well, within six months, it started hurting again. And I was like, are you kidding? And again, they started doing tests and tests and they were like, nothing's wrong. We can't find anything. And and I was just really, really starting to get frustrated with myself. And again, they started saying, there's nothing wrong. You just want the medicine. And we literally went through like nine doctors this time, going to doctor after doctor. And they kept saying nothing was wrong. And finally, we found this one doctor up in Nashville. And he said, I don't see anything. But just from listening to your story, we figure there's something wrong. So I'm willing to go in and look at what's going on. And apparently... With my body, I create a really large amount of scar tissue. And so what had happened from that previous surgery, I didn't do enough physical therapy soon enough. And so the scar tissue had just wrapped itself around my hip and was causing so much pain, but that didn't show up on any of the tests. And so he went in, cleaned it up. We started doing physical therapy a different way, and I was able to get better. But... Because of all of that, prolonged right, right then it was like I realized that you know, as as most addicts will tell you, you start you start building up a tolerance, and so the medicine they give you doesn't work anymore, and so right. you have to start taking more 
for it to start working and then you can't get enough because then you run out you know it's just it's just it's just the cycle well and i'm not an expert uh although i play one all the time online huh <laughs> uh, my understanding with opioids as well is it also does some rewiring of some neurotransmitters yeah that which it explains this whole idea that it's not enough mm-hmm. but it also creates a craving in the body where it needs this to function mm-hmm. and that's why addictions are so easy and and that's the struggle we face today i mean there's a lot of conversation about opioids and pain medication mm-hmm. and are there alternative ways to deal with that yeah so, I mean, where I'm from in Washington, a lot of people are showing success because cannabis is legal. Right. And it's not addictive. Uh, I mean, granted, there's a lot of people who smoke too much of it, <laughs> but, so I don't want to discount that. Right. But the pain management aspect of it, even like here in Tennessee, I know a lot of people who are going to CBD. Right. Oils and stuff like that. Uh, I wish more doctors were more willing to explore alternative pain management but you listen to the podcast with linda yeah i haven't finished it yet but yes i started listening have to you it. listened to have you got to the part where she's talking about her fibromyalgia no it's fascinating um so i don't want to give too much of a spoiler alert but she's talking about dealing with the same thing she's like scott i could not stand in the shower mm. it hurts so bad and she said and i go to the doctors and there's nothing i'm going to my spiritual director and she's saying you realize this is a mental thing and she said and it it wasn't mental because I felt it so, so difficult. And it was debilitating. She said, if I wanted to go to the kitchen, I'd have to get up off the couch, go to the dining room and sit down for a little bit, go to the kitchen, because I just could not move. It was that debilitating. And then she talks about a point where she does start making this spiritual awakening, does start making this emotional healing, and she starts going through this whole new mental and emotional process or taking care of herself physically a little bit better and then I noticed my fibromyalgia is not kicking in Uh, I was like what's going on and she said I remembered that if I ate certain foods it would trigger it she said so I thought okay I'm going to try this so she started eating these certain it's not triggering her fibromyalgia she said if I did certain activities like going upstairs real quick it would trigger it she said, and it wasn't. And, she said, and that's when I started realizing that it's, and, I, and she's very cautious to, to say, I'm not saying you're not feeling this. I'm not saying that it's not manifesting itself and it's, and it's not real. Right. It is absolutely real. She said, but I'm telling you that when I made these changes in my life, this changed. Right. And I, I was fascinated by that. And another woman I was talking to, talks about she was going through a lot of health issues and what she's been able to do is go back and find these specific health issues she said in every time in my life there was something traumatic or stressful going on and it manifested itself Hmm. physically Hmm. curious your thoughts on that i mean i'm reading your story and i'm thinking about all the trauma and things that you've gone through uh, whether self-induced or not. Yeah. And I'm wondering how many times there were physical ailments that were associated with that. I don't know. It's I'm, an interesting thought process. It's, 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 it's interesting. I'd have to think about that. 
Because my friend that I was talking to said that when she goes back and she traces it, yeah. she had very diagnosed physical ailments. Yeah. And it wasn't just like the fibromyalgia that Linda talks about. And again, I want to make sure people understand. I'm not saying it's not real. Right. It is absolutely real. I've mm-hmm. seen people go through it. I know people that's going through it. Uh, and a lot of them are suffering a lot of depression and anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. And, but... In this other woman's case, she's saying, no, I had very diagnosed physical ailments, but it was always associated with that. So, and it comes back to the faith thing. Yes. Um, The greatest teaching is to love yourself, you know, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm -hmm. And I I kept thinking about that with you Mm -hmm. and your story. I mean, this was absolutely a case in which you had a very poor view of yourself. Yes. Well, you know, a lot of that stemmed from, you know, once once I had gotten to this place where I had started taking so much and then I couldn't get it and then I started going down that road of getting it alternative ways, you know, whether it was, um, you know, doctor shopping or back to when you could do that mm-hmm. without, you know, raising the red flags or... You know, when I had gotten to the point where I was stealing it from other people and then even got to the point where I was buying from, you know, a dealer, I had gotten to a very, very low point. And that, that was where my, my, my view of myself was just, it was, it was really, really low. And then when, when it got to a point where I had stolen from somebody that, that, that I almost got put in jail was where it was that it had gotten to the lowest point and that mm. was when the tables kind of turned that was when Heath was brought in and I was given the ultimatum that, that this was it you were fixing to have to do something or you're going to end up in jail and um, that was when the tables kind of turned and that was when I was introduced to a wonderful counselor and I started going to see her and things kind of started to turn around a little bit I didn't completely change my ways because I wasn't exactly ready, but... Or um, honest? No, I was not being completely honest. I thought that I still was able to, you know, I, I thought that I was still Fool able everybody. To, to get away with some of the... Exactly, you know. You know, addicts think that they can they can lie to everybody and, and get away. My sister once told somebody that I was the best liar that she knew. And uh, I, I can't do that nearly as well now. And, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be. Um, but once once I was introduced to Celebrate Recovery, my life completely and totally changed. But it took me about a year of going through, through the step study and kind of really, really digging deep into myself. It took me just completely and totally just stripping everything away and being vulnerable with myself that I finally was able to forgive myself. I was able to forgive everybody else, but being able to forgive myself was the hardest part. I have often told somebody, I think that might be one of the greatest sins, the, the, the ability to not forgive yourself. It's the hardest one. I mean, being able to forgive the people that hurt me was easy yeah in my opinion but to forgive myself because you know there was one time where I sat down and I started making a list of the people that I had stolen things from 
and I literally just fell on my face and was crying so hard because I thought, how could anybody forgive me for the things that I've done? And I just, I almost just completely and totally just quit. Mm. And I don't, I don't know what kept me going. I guess the thought of of just losing everything, my kids, my husband, I, I just couldn't do it. And kudos to your husband. Oh gosh, he's the best. He's the best. I wish he were here to be able to tell you some of the things that that he had to endure because I don't know. There were so many times when he could have left me and probably should have left me. But I was going to say that <laughs> probably should have. Yep. But you know, I can I can still remember. I think you probably read it, but I specifically remember this one conversation that he and I had where I was. It was not long after we had adopted Michaela. And I really probably should have ended up in jail that one time. And we were sitting down in the floor, and I was holding her, and I was just crying because I'd gotten caught. I wasn't crying because I was sorry. And I just remember sitting there looking at him, and I was like, why? Why haven't you left me? I've given you every reason in the world to leave me. And I remember him looking at me, and he said, because God told me not to leave you. Mm. He said, when I married you, I married you for better or for worse. And he said, and this is just the worst. He said, there's been plenty of better, but this is just the worst. And it's part of it. And I'll never forget that. Wow. And I think any reasonable person would have been like, I get it, if he had left. I get it. But, and that's the hard part of relationships, isn't it? You know, love is not all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. No. It's work. It's work. It's death. It's separation. It's people not living up to expectations. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. It's not, it's not the first year. No. <laughs> that first year is always fun and, you know, grand and all that. <laughs> yes, yes. It's not that first year. Not that first year. Yeah. Sometimes you don't even like each other, but, you know, that's not that's not what marriage... I, I heard in a discussion the other day that one of the reasons that marriages are having such a hard time today... Well, I don't want to say one of the reasons because there's, there's, there's many things I want to bring up. A lot of times we go into marriage thinking, okay, I, I need my best friend. I, need a, I want them to give me a best friend. I want them, the relationship to give me a confidant. I want the relationship to give me a passionate lover. I want the relationship... You have all these expectations of what you want the relationship to give you for you to get out of it, where in reality is you have some responsibility to give into this thing. And she may not be my best friend. And I might have a buddy that I go fishing with, and that's my best friend. And maybe I don't need to put that expectation onto her. And she may not be the one that I talk to about my troubles and my... I don't need to put that burden on her where a lot of times we'll do that but we just have these weird expectations and the thing I hate most of all is I want someone to make me happy and your story is a perfect example Heath can't make you happy if he could have you would have never went down that road with everything you'd went through Mm -hmm. you had to learn to be and I hate the word happy you had to learn to love yourself and and it's a learning process um, and that's another thing that I've learned and I try to share with people. It's not a one-time thing. Oh, I learned how to love myself. It's like, oh, I learned how to tie my shoes. I'll always be able to learn 
I'll always be on a time machine. No. Loving yourself is a very difficult, ongoing process because you will have those dark days. I mean, you mentioned in your story there was a time where you, you had a plan. I'm, I'm, I'm going to break my sobriety. Yep. That was tough. I mean, you planned this. It wasn't like you walked into a bar one time and all of a sudden you got a bunch of friends and, yep. oh, well, maybe I'll take one drink. Yep. Now, Satan is a crafty little, crafty little booger. Yep. That was, that was tough. But, um, you know, I, I can remember, I remember that experience like it was yesterday. You know, I am, right now I'm fixing to come up on four years clean. And that was when I was about, I was about two years clean. Mm. And um, uh, my triggers include high, high anxiety situations. We talked about that earlier. Yes. And um, we happened to be in Pigeon Forge with a family. And there were, I'm not, I'm not even sure exactly what the situation was, but we were with the kids. We were on vacation. And there was something that had happened. And my anxiety was through the roof. Mm. And we were walking around one day, and I was just very, very anxious. The crowd was, you know, crowding in on me, and I was just, I was shaking. I can remember that feeling, and I was just about to just lose my mind. I'm not sure exactly why, but the only thought that was in my head, and I know it was Satan, the only thing that was in my head was, I want to leave my family right now and to go buy some moonshine and drink the whole thing. I don't drink moonshine at mm. all, but that was the only thing I wanted to do. And, uh, and finally, Heath was like, what is wrong with you? And we put our kids on a ride, and I sat down, and I told him, and he was like, what, what is wrong with you? Why, what, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, but that's the only thing I can think of. And he said, well, what do you need from me? And I said, I need to find a CR, and I need to go. And luckily, that night, we found one that was like three miles from our hotel, and mm. they were meeting that night. And so it was like God gave me exactly what I needed right then, and Heath was gracious enough to allow me to go. He took the kids. We went back to the hotel, and I went that night, and those ladies that were there that night, they met me exactly where I was. They loved on me, and they helped me through that situation. Now, I had still planned after leaving that meeting that night to go and get it and drink it, but... After that meeting, I no longer wanted it. And so, I mean, God knew exactly what he was doing with me <laughs> that night because I was scared. I was like, you guys have got to help me get through this because if I don't, then I'm going to lose it tonight. And so they did, but I don't. the anxiety that I had going into that meeting was so high, I didn't know what to do with it. And so they just, they helped me work through it. And so that was, you know, one of the great things about CR is that they have they have got, you know, churches and meetings all over, all over the world. And so not necessarily, it wasn't mine, but, you know, I had... You had a family. I had a family wherever, had a tribe. They, wherever they were, yes. And that was the greatest thing. Um, dealing with anxiety. A lot of times, and everybody, everybody deals with anxiety. Right. Uh, a lot of times what we try to do at least in my experience, so I don't want to speak for you, but in my experience, I try to, I try to focus on the anxiety. What I'm trying to learn now 
is that, okay, what's this anxiety saying to me? Because it's there for a reason. Right. So if you believe in the divine, you believe in this this great mystery, the soul of souls that's out there, that's in part, that's indwelt with all of us. Part of the creation process was to put these emotions, this anxiety in there. Mm-hmm. What's this anxiety saying? It's like the, you know, the, the check engine light. What's it saying? So instead of focusing on, oh, God, I'm anxious. I need to fix my anxious and take something or do something. What's it saying? And it's helping me go in a little bit deeper and say, oh, okay, I get it. Maybe I've got sensory overload. Mm-hmm. So a story for me, and I had this story this morning. I don't know how much I'll get through it, uh, so I may cut it off and make it very general okay. at some point. <laughs> um, where I used to live at in the Pacific Northwest, they loved their fireworks. And they were completely legal was inside the city limits. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and as I started dealing with uh, that darkness in my life, that troubled time, I started finding that, and, and they have a period, at that time they had a period of 10 days around the 4th of July that you could fire these fireworks off. <laughs> wow. And people weren't firing bottle rockets. These were mortars that they're firing. Oh, these wow. neighborhoods would get together and for a period around 10 days, every night, these fireworks were just going off, just going off, just going off. Oh, wow. And um, the deeper I got into that darkness, the more these started bothering me. I mean, really, really bothering me. I was okay if I was at your house and I knew you were firing fireworks. Right. But if I'm driving through town, also, I'm, you know, you're spaced out, you're in your own head, you're thinking about the day's projects, you're thinking about what you're supposed to do when you get home, and also, whoo, these fireworks would start going off. I would, it would just be this really anxious thing within me. What I didn't realize at the time was I was going through a very stressful time, and this was just manifesting and making it worse. Uh, three, 2016, three years ago, uh, I'm living with a, a beautiful woman that I love, and she had worked the 4th of July. I didn't have anything to go do. Uh, I was going to be in the home alone that night. And I thought, I'm not going to be able... I, I, I just need to go to sleep. So I bought a bottle of whiskey. I just want to go to sleep. Right? I don't want to deal with this. And I remember laying there waiting for this whiskey to kick in. Just, oh, good. Just anxious, anxious, anxious. Mm-hmm. And... um I woke up and she had climbed in bed and it started back, but now I'm drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and now this anxiety got even worse and I just, I lost it. I completely, this is embarrassing, but I lost it. I find myself on the couch in the fetal position, naked, crying. And um, it was a completely embarrassing moment for me when I look back on it. And I even hate telling the story, but. I started dealing with that. Okay, I got to figure out another way to manage this anxiety. I got to figure out another way. So last night we go to the regional park and we're sitting there and we're watching it. And I thought, I am in such a different place than I was three years ago. And it's not that the concussion noise and all that didn't didn't trigger some things. Mm-hmm. It's just I was managing it differently. And I'd learned to do that. I'd learned to look at the anxiety and say, okay, this anxiety is here. What do I do? Okay, yeah. why is this anxiety here? Yep. And how do I manage it? So, Well, being able to know your limits is 
such a good place to be. I it mean, is. If you know what you can handle and what you can't handle. Yeah. Is is key. Yeah, I don't travel to the Northwestern in July anymore. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I, I don't know that I could handle that. I don't. And um, so this woman that I'm with, she's very much into a lot of Eastern type healing, like what they call sound bathing. Do you know what sound bathing is? Never heard of it. It's interesting. So everything, <laughs> everything has a vibration, right? And so it's like you've, you've probably sat by a, a creek. Right. And that, that bubbling of the water and the wind blowing, and you just get this feeling of peace calm, yeah. and serenity and calm. And they're saying, well, a lot of that has to do with just that sound, the vibrations from that sound entering your body and just help. And you have certain music that does that. Like, you know, if you want to go do some meditation, I probably wouldn't listen to Eminem. <laughs> right? Right. I get that. You probably don't want to do that because you're going to come out angry. Right. Uh, you know, with some rage, you know, you don't yeah. want to do rage. Right. Machine. I totally have certain music I listen to depending on what I'm doing. I get that. Right. So there's the sound vibration, the, the, the sound bathing. And I was sitting there last night and I looked over at her. I said, you know, this isn't a very good sound bathing environment. She said, no, it's not. Because <laughs> uh, you get the concussion, you get the booms, you get everything that's going on. And yeah, on one level, oh, it's exciting, it's fun. But on the other level, you're left with this dark feeling, at least for me. Yeah. So um, it's you got to be very much aware of what you listen to. Yeah, very much. I get to that. your point. Know your limits. Right. Exactly. And that's one of the things we're trying to teach our kids too. It's hard. <laughs> Especially when they don't listen to you. They don't listen to you. My uh, my uh, daughter was into that ska music. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Yes. She was in Descon and um, you know, we lived in the Portland metro area. We lived in on the Washington side of the Columbia River there in Vancouver, so it's more of a suburban mm-hmm. type environment, but she'd go out with some friends, then I'd find out the next day, oh she's down at the Roseland Theater in a mosh pit. <laughs> <laughs> like you're fifteen. Oh wow. Who are you in a mosh pit with? And she pointed out this one guy's big old guy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know him. Oh. He's got her. So, um, but what we, what you try to do is like the music in the home right? or the sounds in the home. That's why you want your home to be a peaceful, welcoming environment. But yeah, it's, it's hard with your kids. So there's something else about that that I was going to tell you about. So I dealt with that. Oh, and she messaged me last night, uh, cause she knows about that. And I messaged her back and I, I thanked her for her kind and loving words on that that was that was beautiful but it's those anxieties that we deal with when we can find out what's triggering them i hate the word trigger that's a big word we use in recovery all right you got to know what 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 triggers your you know your your issues you do we do i mean we use i think it's an overused word though in a lot of things yeah um that's what i was going to tell you so i'm sitting in here Mm mm-hmm that table over there and for those of you who don't know we are in a coffee shop so that noise you hear in the background we're at the beanery uncorked in downtown (laughs) Athens Uh, they're kind enough to let me come in here and record from time to time I'm over there one day and this lady comes over and she sits down and because I'm talking to Janine she's the owner uh, and some other people and she hears our discussion we're talking about theological esoteric type things Mm -hmm. she comes over and she joins in on the discussion while I later find out she's 27 years clean 
And she's starting a ministry where she's reaching out to churches and saying, hey, we want to provide this opportunity for people to come into. A couple of years ago, she lost her best friend. Mm. And she said, all I wanted to do was get high. That's all I wanted to do. And I remember looking at her and I said, and that's okay. And just her face, was just like something released. And she goes, thank you. <laughs> said, and that's okay. That's an that's a understandable, natural reaction. That's okay. And just like you, you, all this anxiety, whatever was bringing it on, we don't know. You may know now, but we don't know. I'm certainly part of that discussion. That, that sudden feeling that I just want to buy some moonshine and get drunk. That's understandable. That's okay. She told me the saddest story. She went to her church. She, she had a role in her church. And she was before her church doing whatever. And she started sharing this experience. And in sharing that experience, she told them just what I told you. She said, and all I wanted, all I want to do is get high. And she said, it's like they cut me off. We're not on video, but it's almost like she's about to cry. It's so hard because sometimes I just think that um, churches don't know how to deal with with people like us. Mm. Um, we went through something quarter sort of kind of similar to that when all of this was going on. Um, when all of this went down with Heath and I I was basically kind of told that I couldn't do anything you know I could not I couldn't be with the kids I couldn't sing in the choir I couldn't do anything until I got my act together so the one place it's supposed to be there for healing yeah, so until you're healed, you can't be apart. Yeah, and you know, I was reading an article the other day, and it was it was it was kind of talking about the church that uh, that it's like when you come in and you talk to the church about things like this, they will give you all kinds of advice. Okay, this is where you can go. This is what you can do to go get healed, and then you can come back in. And I think that's. That's a problem with a lot of churches that that's kind of what it is. Yes, we will we'll tell you where you can go, what you can do, and then you can integrate back in the church. And I think that was a lot of how I felt. Um, but I think the biggest issue was that at that time, they just didn't know, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know how to talk to me. Nobody knew really what to do. Um, and ironically, there's probably people right in that church. I'm sure. That were exactly where you were at. I'm sure. Uh, now, there, there were several people who, who loved me where I was, who talked to me. But overall, I think that it was very much, we don't know what to do with you. It just kind of hold me at, at arm's length. Um, there's a pastor that I follow. 
His name's Rob Bell. He's controversial amongst some dogmatic type people. Um, <clears throat> I went and saw him in Chattanooga recently. It's Introduction to Joy Tour. If he's in your town, go see it. <laughs> um, Portland, he'll be there July 17th. Um, anyways, I he tells this story about when he first started in ministry as a pastor. A guy come up to him and said, uh, if you're going to be a pastor... You need to get. You need to go to an AA meeting. And Rob said, "I remember tilting my head and looking at him, saying, um, I wasn't aware that I had a problem with alcohol.'" <laughs> he said, "I'm not saying that. You need to go to an AA meeting. When you go, just sit there. When it comes your turn, my name's Rob. I pass." Okay. So he went and he started watching this. And it was, "My name's Rob. I pass. My name's Rob. I pass." He said, and what I found out was, and like you said, most of these recoveries are in the basement of a church with bad coffee. <laughs> he said, well, upstairs, they got great coffee, and everybody's up there talking about the wonders of, of Jesus and, 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 and God. He said, and down here, it was this raw, no BS environment. And he said, and I found out that alcoholics and addicts, they'll spot it and they'll call it out, but it's not mean. It's not harsh. It's like, hey, I've been there and this is what you're doing. And he said, this is the most beautiful statement. He said, in the basement with the bad coffee, salvation was taking place while the saved had no clue. And that changed the way in which he looked at ministry. And... He said, now after that, when he deals with people and they've been sober and they have that moment where I'm about to lose it, he's like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's first get to that. Don't beat yourself up over this. It's okay. Now let's walk through this. Yeah. Uh, or he said, you meet some people who was, I, I broke. I'm no, I quit. He said, it's okay. It's a natural reaction. You're here now. Let's go forward. Let's don't deal with that. That's over. And I wish more churches had that mentality that, you know, even even with people who, um, any issue, infidelities, promiscuity, or or whatever, drug addictions, alcoholism, if we were able to look at them and say, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Well, the church that we go to right now, um, we went into it open open about our story. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that the pastor at that church did was um, on, I guess it was a couple of years ago, during we did a fall study, and he did it on several different different people about different different stories. And the very first story was about Heath and I and our story on addiction. And it was so freeing to be able to talk in front of one of the largest churches in Starkville about addiction and the fact that it was right there in the church. And we were so very open and transparent. And it was one of the most beautiful things. And the people in that church just opened their arms. And we had so many people come up afterwards and talk about it. And, you know, some that were like, you know, me too. I'm 20-something years clean. Some people were like, I'm struggling. Can mm. you can you talk to me about this Celebrate Recovery? And so I can come too. 
you know, we're in the process of trying to talk about starting another one, you know, in our church. Mm. And so it's been an absolutely beautiful process to be a part of a church that, that opens up. Now, we're not there completely, but it's it's been beautiful to watch. I think that... Just the birth. Yeah, I think that they they know I'm trying to start a conversation within that. You know, in, in my opinion, I think that there needs to be a Celebrate Recovery offered every night of the week in town and so that people who need it will have an opportunity right to then. go right now. Yep. And do so, you guys do... I know like... A, I have a friend of mine who went through a cover a few years ago. I've tried to get him on the podcast. He's very sporadic. Um, but he recently went back to AA. And what he was telling was that these people did so much to help him. Now he's going back and sponsoring. And he said it's, it's, it's a whole new experience for him. To be able to give back. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have, um, we have what we call the step study, which is about an eight-month to a year-long process of um, what we go through. Um, and you get a sponsor when you go through that. And at the end of it, one of the main things that we do is that we take the person and you give back in some way. That's the biggest thing that we do is to give back. And you can do anything as small as, you know, help greet in, you know, in there as to, uh, in, you know, leading a small group, um, sponsoring somebody else. There's so many different things. You can, you can take out the trash. You don't have to speak to anybody. Right. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can give back within our ministry. I, I was just thinking about this, too. You don't fit. If I was to look at you and Heath and Michaela you don't fit the stereotypical addict image. Right. I mean, I would assume you're middle, upper middle class, white suburban family. Yeah. 2.5 kids and a dog. Get a dog? Two dogs. Right. <laughs> so there's the 0.5 kids. You don't fit it. You know, when I think about somebody who's going through addiction, who's buying from dealers, who's stealing, who's doing whatever else is in your story, you don't fit it. And I can see how being in one of the largest churches in Starkville, Mississippi, and you speaking, you're breaking a stereotype. You're breaking a mold. You're saying, look, this isn't just the people on the corner. This is in your neighborhood. This is in the pew right beside you. The opioid crisis right now is one of those things that it, it, it does not discriminate against races it doesn't discriminate against ages it's i mean it crosses barriers with everybody you know um even one of our one of the most profound stories one of our national cr leaders um told us a story a year or two ago i mean this is one of our national leaders that is over you know like the entire united states of crs he was talking about how he had a knee injury and he had surgery, and he came out of surgery thinking, oh, he'll be fine. You know, here he is, one of the national leaders for Celebrate Recovery. And right. his wife is like, well, do you need me to get your pain medicine? And he's like, no, I'll be fine. 
I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And he gets home and the medicine from the hospital wears off. And he's like, go get my medicine now. I'm dying. I have to have something. And she comes home and brings it to him and he takes it. And it finally kicks in and he's laying there on the couch. And all of a sudden he feels it. And he's like looking at the bottle and is like, okay, this is what one feels like. I wonder what two would. Right. And he's like, and all of a sudden it just hit him in his head. Okay. I need to call my sponsor right now because that thought just tripped through my mind. And he said, and I can see now how easy it is for people to get hooked on these things. He said, for that just to go through my mind after everything that I do in this, in this ministry, I've got to call my sponsor. And he said, and I just see how easy it is for so many people, you know, the millions of people in the United States for this to happen. Yeah, because they've not had the self, they've not had the learning. Right. They've I mean, not had to look into themselves and find a, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about you need to go to that dark place. You need to understand the darkness within you. Because mm-hmm. if you don't understand that darkness within you, it will understand you. Mm-hmm. And so here he's had this years of experience of being like, okay, I understand this darkness. Now yeah. you take somebody who's not. Yeah. They don't know their limitations. They don't know their weaknesses. They don't know. You don't have a sponsor, somebody you can talk to. Right. Yeah. You go into this unknowing and all of a sudden you're down that hole. and Yeah, it can happen so fast. And if we're in churches and we're not talking about it or we're not right. talking about it in our community or we're not being open with it and understand why we don't, there's a stigma. Yeah. I mean, just for you to come on this podcast, you don't know who's going to listen to this podcast. Right. Um, you don't know who among our high school friends are going to be listening. To this. this is brave. Well, I want to start a conversation. I, I don't want to be in the shadows anymore. I want, I want people to be able to talk about it. And if somebody needs to talk about it with me, I want to be there to help somebody else. Because I felt like that when we first started this, that there wasn't anybody for us to talk to. And yeah. that was hard. That's why I was, you know, it, it was almost a good 10 years of me in this deep addiction. And, you know, I look back, you know, I never tried any of the hard drugs. I never went on crack to any of that you know marijuana any of that the only reason I never tried it was because I was so scared I have such horrible luck I knew that if I tried that I would be the one that it would be laced with something crazy and I would die the first time that is the only reason I never tried it was because I was so scared the only reason Mm. but now the stuff that I would do with prescription drugs should have killed me should have killed me and so I know that do you think any of your medical issues may have resulted in the abuse of something I don't know. I mean, I, I wondered that too when I was reading your story. I'm like, I wonder if some of this is a result. I don't know. But I, I know that God has a, a higher purpose for me, for keeping me around, because some of the stuff that I did, I know it should have killed me or it should have you destroyed know, your life. It should have, because, you know, my doctors keep a really good watch on me now, you know, because they know everything now. I've been completely transparent with everybody and even now if I have like you know it was only three or four weeks ago I had surgery on my other knee you know we have a system now even even now you know anytime I have to have opioids in the house I don't keep I don't keep them at all he keeps a hold of everything and then if I have to have something then he doles them out to me you know we're not we're not stupid well are there alternate drugs you can use besides that opioid uh, none that, that work as well on me. Hmm. And so we, you know, I still have a, I still have a tolerance built up yeah. in me. And so, but we're, we don't try to take any chances. And so anytime we have anything, he just keeps, he keeps them. 
and so I don't ever have anything in my possession, even now. And we'll just probably keep it that way. We try to be smart. We I don't. Would, we don't try to. I would take the probably out of that statement. Yeah. I would just keep it that way. Yeah. Let's take the probably out. Yeah. We don't want to try to think that we're too, too far down this road, that I couldn't mess up. Right, because that lady that we I just told you about earlier, and even the guy that you were talking about, who's the head of nationally, they were twenty something years. Mm-hmm. So, and you got to think twenty something years, and still, there's that possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't ever know. You don't ever know what could trigger you. <laughs> you know, I hate that word. I do. That's why I used it. I hate it because it's so overused. And I, and I see some of these people who, oh, they get, you know, I need a safe space. Like on college campuses, you see these yeah. extreme, oh, they're trigger, these microaggressions. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> on some level, I get what you're saying. But on the other level, own some responsibility. You're an adult now. Own some responsibility and grow up. Yeah, you probably had some horrible things that happened in your life and instead of blaming them on me and projecting on everybody else let's look at you and how do you deal with this and and that's and and I'm not saying this person may not mean what they're doing but on some level I have a responsibility on how I respond oh yeah yeah we talk about the only thing that that you can really have control over is how you respond so I get that yeah and learning those skill sets that's what I like about uh, STEP programs, mm-hmm. is teaching people these skill sets, letting them know that they've got somebody they can talk to, uh, letting them know that there's resources, um, like the podcast I did with Sky. Mm-hmm. She had no clue that there were groups out there on Facebook that are going through what she's going through that she can talk to them about. Uh, I did a podcast with Sarah Philpot. She's a... She lives here in Inglewood. She's a, got a PhD, and she's got a book called um, "Loved Baby," and it's about dealing with pregnancy loss. Mm. And my wife and I uh, had went through that uh, prior to our divorce. We went through a pregnancy loss, and you know, this was early two thousands. The internet wasn't that big. I'm, I don't know how to deal with this. Nobody taught me, okay, look, if you and your wife have a pregnancy loss, these are the things you need to think about. These are the things you need to do. These are the resources to help you guys work through it. And a lot of families experience divorce after pregnancy loss. I don't know if that was the precipitate. I don't know if that preceded our divorce or if that was the start of it or what. But um, I didn't know. And so when I did that with uh, Sarah Philpot, well, I met her the previous year. And one of my wife's cousins had just gone through a pregnancy loss. And you could see just on her public profile how she was struggling with it. And Sarah had this book. So I reached out to her and I said, look, this is weird. Okay. And I know you can get very upset. And I know that because we've been there. Uh, So let me first give you my apologies. It's not my intent to upset you. So I told her about this book. I would like to give it to you. And it's a 31-day devotional, uh, Christ-centered. And she's like, I didn't know that that world existed. 
I would love that book. And so I get the book. Sarah writes her a nice little note, and I send it to her. And she's just like, I never knew this community was there. Mm. Um, matter of fact, Linda Linton is one of the moderators for the Facebook groups that they have. Oh, it's a cool. private Facebook groups because she went through it. That was part of her struggle. And she's like, I never knew this world existed. And that's the same thing here. When somebody's going through all of this, they don't know the resources are there. So you coming on here being brave is, is amazing. The other thing is somebody, again, like you, that doesn't fit the stereotype, I think it might be harder for a woman in your situation or a man in, in, in your similar socioeconomic situation to go get help. Yeah. You know, that's one of the great things about um, Celebrate Recovery is that one of the greatest um, <clears throat> guidelines is about anonymity and confidentiality is that everything that is said there and heard there, it just stays there. And so if you want to go in and go to one of the meetings, usually, you know, what is who you see there, what is said there usually stays there. And so, you know, we have people of all walks of life that come through, come through ours. You know, there could be pastors and lawyers police people you know there's all kinds of people that walk through there you know there all kinds of people have struggles that need help and so I know and I've, I've I mean this isn't that but it's similar I've, I, I've known women who's been in domestic violence situations yes. but they're in a certain socioeconomic mm-hmm. class they're in a small town to reach out and get help or to leave their husband Absolutely. is, in their mind, so much more damaging than, well, we'll just hide this and we'll just go on. And you see that same thing with addiction. You know, the, the spouse knows, well, we'll just try to keep it within the family and maybe she'll or maybe he'll. Mm-hmm. I've talked to women who stayed with, you know, alcoholics a lot longer than they probably should because he would never go get help. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we have a lot of people who think that this program is only for the addict or for the alcoholic. But, you know, we have a lot of, you know, spouses of the alcoholic. The alcoholic doesn't want to come, but the spouse will come, and there's just as much help for them. So what help would be there for them? For that. Uh, Support. You know, support a lot of times just um, just for them. You know, they can come and they can talk. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Right. And I guess it would be one thing to, if I was a spouse of an addict, to hear the addict tell me their side. And it might help me maybe have a little bit more understanding. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different groups that are within that. Um, And so for you to be able to come, let's say, you know, one of my best friends that is there. Her son was an addict and she came just in, you know, because he wouldn't come. And there was another lady that was there for the exact same thing. And they were just be able to support each other. Mm. And she was able to talk to her. She'd been there longer and she was just able, you know, to talk to her and to support her and say, you know, I know what you've been through. It's going to be okay. If you need me, you know, talk to me just to make connections, you know, because she didn't know anybody who had gone through that before. And it was just, it was, it was neat to be able to let them make that connection. And, you know, it's just, it's a good support system. It is. You know, but, you know, you'll never know unless you come. You never know. I, 
so I mean, you, and you have this discussion too. Um, how how do I help somebody who's going through addiction? And on the one hand, you be there, you love them, you support them. But on the other hand, you can't until they get to where you was, you know, face down on the floor, possibility of jail, losing your family, everything. And it wasn't until then you're like, okay, I got to change some stuff. (laughs) So where's that balance? If you're talking to me and I've got a wife who's going through that, what's the advice for me on how do I help her and where's that balance? Well... With me, in order to find that, I do a whole lot of praying. Mm. I do, I do an awful lot of praying. I used to just try to, um, you know, do do a lot of just kind of talking and helping and that kind of stuff. I do an awful lot of being still and asking God for guidance and His wisdom now. Um, and a lot of times, He'll just kind of, if you if you ask Him, He will He will help you figure out where that balance is because with uh, different people it's different you just kind of have to have to kind of feel your way around and really really listen listen to God and the Holy Spirit because if not then you can really screw some things up <laughs> and I, I guess my other thing is I mean Heath stayed yes he did um, other spouses don't is that okay For the other people? Yeah. I mean, do you tell a spouse who's gone through years of this, they've lost their home, they've lost their jobs, they've they've watched their spouse do this over and over and over, and that spouse just won't turn? And I guess the question is, I mean, I know what my answer is, but I want to hear it from you. What do you tell is that Is it okay spouse? for them to leave? Yeah. That's a hard question because I've actually had somebody just ask me that not too long ago. And, you know, I really, I, I don't know. I would hate to say that it's okay for them to leave and then, you know, what if their miracle happens? You know, I don't know. I, I know our situation. I mean, I put him through hell for an awful long time. Mm. And then, you know, ours came. It, it's hard it's hard to say. I just, I don't, I don't know. I would hate to say to leave. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Right. I mean, it's like, what do you tell a parent when their kid's going through it? Yeah. At what point do you just say, okay, I can't do no more for you? Um, I guess my answer would be that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> That's my answer. That's a good question. And you're really the only one that can answer that. And you're the only one that's got to live with that. I mean, on one hand, if I'm married to someone and she comes down with a a debilitating disease and I leave, well, I'm an SOB. Right. <laughs> right? Right. I am. You left her and she's sick. And this is something I struggle with in my marriage. You left her and she's sick. But you left her and she's putting your family through this and the lies and this and that and that. I guess in my mind for a long time I looked at it, well, what's the difference? If, if, 
I, I shouldn't leave if this is going on, but everybody's okay if I leave if that's going on. And it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. I do know, and this is part of the discussion that I was having this morning, was, <clears throat> and her and I have had before, we've both been married before, and um, I'm probably quicker, I would, if I was to get remarried again, I'm probably quicker to get a divorce than I was the first time. And that bothers me. That bothers me about, you know, the potential. Not that I'm anywhere near wanting to get remarried, but right. um, I don't want anybody hearing this. Oh, he's getting married. No, <laughs> that's not on the discussion table. Um, but because of past relationship issues, whether other girlfriends or, or the wife, I don't want to pin it all on one person. You know, you hit certain red flags and you're like, okay, I know where this went then. Right. I don't want it to go there. I don't want to go there again. Right. I think I'd be more quick to say no. And that bothers me. Because then, then that whole idea of, of my faith kicks in. Of grace and love and mercy. I'll try to think long and hard about it before you make that decision to go in. Right. Right. Try to think long and hard. Well, I do think long and hard about it. Right. And I'm not nowhere near making that decision. Well, good. Right? <laughs> it's like, what do you do? But, and that would, uh, that's got to be a question that you would face as a counselor dealing with whether an official capacity as a counselor or an unofficial, right. just a f- friend sitting on a fishing bank. Yeah. What do you tell that person that's struggling with that? Yeah. There's probably a lot of things that need to go into that, you know, are... Everybody's situational. I mean, you know, are they, are they being hurt? You know, is right. there, is there something, you know, abuse going on? I mean, there's a lot of things that would have to be thought about in that, you know, are you just unhappy? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things that would have to be thought about. There are, and that's why I guess if I was in that, and I, I have been in that situation where somebody's asking me this, and it's just like, okay, this is, I can't answer that for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing we are not is licensed counselors or anything like that. Right. So we don't answer questions like this. So. Well, and unfortunately, I've been asked these before, and I'm not a licensed counselor either, right. but, uh, and you get asked this just as friends, you know, right. somebody going through this, and I, I guess my question is always I understand either way right you know you, you've got to make a decision one way or the other but when you make it you need to you do it with boundaries yes and I think boundaries are a good thing yes especially in relationships we've got boundaries mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just don't I've never dealt with them on the level that you and Heath have um but I guess one of the reasons I was interested in doing this podcast was because I know there are people out there that are dealing with it on that level. Yeah. Well, if we didn't have the kind of boundaries we have right now, I don't think we would be able to be together. I don't think he would be able to have any kind of level of trust with me at all. Right. And... How can you function in a marriage without any kind of trust? It's difficult. Well, I mean, you did it. Right? It was difficult. Yes. 
took a long time for me to earn any kind of trust back with him. Mm. Do you mind sharing maybe one or two of the boundaries? Not, not nothing. Well, I mean, like the, the medicine boundaries, that's, right. that's one. Um, we also have on our phones, we have the Life360 app mm-hmm. to where we know exactly where everybody in our family is at mm-hmm. all times. And so if I were to stray outside of that, you Norm. know, of, of where he knows where I am at all times. So, you know, if I were to try to do something stupid like go somewhere where I wasn't supposed to go, he would know. Or shouldn't be. Right. 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 He knows. He knows where I am at all times. So um, I've talked to people who's done something similar. And on one hand, it's relieving to know that my partner can see that I'm, I'm being true to my word. Right. On the other hand, it's very domineering. You know, and depending on when you talk to the person, it's depending on when they feel that way. Mm-hmm. How do you struggle? Do you deal with that? Um, that, like, that, that fight where, okay, it's very freeing. I, I know I'm my truth and I know it's out there and I'm okay with him seeing it. Or with, uh, God, I feel like he's just watching every move I'm Yes. Yes, I get that. And a lot of times it just depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Ah. Uh, yeah, which, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I'm struggling with a lot of anger right now, and that comes into play a lot. <laughs> anger. I meant, to, I meant to dive into that if you want to. What, what's this anger? Um, well. I mean, besides the fact you're a redhead. <laughs> yes. And I am being stereotypical. Yeah. I grew up with a redhead. My mom was a redhead. I dated a redhead. Yeah. Well, um, this has been something that has probably come up a lot since my, my, since my father passed away. And I think a lot of that has been just held in since he died. And I think that it has just kind of manifested itself within about the last six months. And I have just realized that I have held a lot of that in since he Mm. passed away. And I'm just trying to kind of realize where a lot of it's coming from. And I'm just within with my counselor, I'm just trying to let some of it out so that it's not all balled up. And Are you doing anything like physically, like any exercise, any meditation, any yoga type um, thing? No. I would highly recommend it. I'm starting to be able to exercise a little bit more. But like I said, I have had two different surgeries within the last six months which have kind of limited that yoga. a little bit I don't know if I can fold myself like a pretzel but. no I'm telling you it, it is um, it, there, there is a level for anybody at any level you are physically I mean there is something you can do but there's my dad died it'll be a year in August and I, I contacted the studio that I do yoga at and when my dad died, I had to go into work mode. I had to pull back out Pastor Scott. Um, Mom was, as she should have been, going through that. My family, I live in the South, so mom's one of nine, dad's one of nine. My house explodes with people. Women are doing laundry. <laughs> uh 
one of the nephews comes up to me and says, is there gas in the lawnmower? He's out there mowing the yard, even though I'd mowed it three days earlier. There's people washing the front of the refrigerator and they're washing cabinets and, you know, they're doing dishes that have been done. I mean, that's going on. And and my mom's over here and and I have to go into, I can't be grieving son right now. I've got to manage this chaos. So it went from that to somebody's got to write the obituary. Well, I, I'm the speaker, I'm the teacher, I'm the writer. So I write the obituary and I get that submitted. And it's everything else that you got to do. My kids are coming in, we're planning this, we're doing that. I got to stay in work mode. And then the funeral is coming up. Well, I'm delivering the eulogy. I'm, I'm pastor. I'm back in that mode again. And hundreds of people show up at this funeral and I've got to, I hate the word entertain, but I've got to be, you know, I got to greet people and talk to people. And thankfully my daughter, my son was there and I said, okay, look, you guys have mama. Uh, I told my daughter, I've talked to the funeral directors. Them speaking to you is as if they're speaking to me. So anything you request or need, you don't have to come talk to me about. You've got, because I can't do all this. And so she took that on like a champ. Uh, My son supported her. And then I got the funeral, do the graveside, do all that. And I called the yoga studio that I've been attending. I said, I don't grieve like other people. And I don't have time to allow myself to have this emotional grief, and I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> but I know my body well enough, back to knowing your limitations, that this is going to manifest itself physically in me, and I need help. I need you to help me. And so she brought me in, and we went through some things. I was doing some yoga. We did another type of therapy that she has. And... And being aware of that over this last year and watching, it's been very healing for me because I know that, okay, when these things are happening, I need to let this out because if I don't, it's going to manifest it. So when you're talking about your dad's death and you're talking about this anger manifesting itself, you've got to find, in my experience, I think you would agree with this just in your own addiction experience, you've got to find a way to say, okay, how do I get this out? meditation, exercise, yoga, seeing your counselor, writing. I don't know if you journal. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the things that um, that my counselor told me to start doing. And um, I actually have been starting another step study with a couple of girls in CR. And uh, that is one of the things that we have to do is to journal. Mm. And I actually had refused to do it for the longest time because I did not want to put down in writing how angry that I was. And she kept saying, you need to do it. You need to do it. It's something that you need to do. And I was literally refusing to do it. But through doing this next step study with these two wonderful ladies, I was forcing myself to write and I love to write. Mm. And so it was kind of therapeutic and I have uh, been with them for several months and we've been doing this and it has really been good but I have not been able to do more than just through the step study but it has it's actually been helping me a lot I may look into the yoga thing but 
the no. writing for this. No, don't, has, don't say May. <laughs> say it out loud. I'm going to look into the yoga thing. All right, Mel Cindy. I'm going to look into this, the yoga thing. Y'all keep me accountable. Um, so That's I'll something do that. I do. Just like you writing down. Yes. You got to say it out loud. Okay. If you don't say things out loud, they don't happen. If you don't write it down, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, I'm thinking about a, a podcast series or a sermon series, if you will, based on say it out loud. Do you know that in the Hebrew culture, prayers, there's no such thing as an unspoken prayer request. Right. There's no such thing as a private prayer. They're all written out because it'd be memorized and said. Right. You say it out loud. And you yes. think, why do you have to say it out loud? Well, God created through words. He spoke into existence. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the Jesus tradition. He takes that a little bit further where he says, and the word became flesh. When you say things out loud, whether it's complaining and arguing, that becomes flesh. Yes. And what you speak into your children, what you say out loud into your kids, that becomes flesh. So, and that's first thing I did. One of the first gifts I bought mom after dad died was a journal. And, um, and when we went up in April, the ex-wife, ironically, the ex-wife was texting me like the week after my mom died. And she said, I picked up a journal and I carried it around the store. Not my mom died, my dad, dad died. Yeah. God. She said, I, I picked up meant. a journal and I carried it around in the store and I kept thinking about getting it to your mom, but because everything that's happened, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to bring up, I just don't want to do that. And I said, you know me well enough to know that I think the divine speaks to us and we call it intuition, we call it desires, we call it whatever. And I, the, the, the blessing we miss out on a lot of times is we don't do what we, you know, you have this thing. Maybe I should call somebody, <clears throat> and you don't. And then you find out, oh my God, their kid just got hit by a car. Oh yeah. Right. I think that's our souls communicating with each other. And so I told us, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you that this is my thought process on this. And she texts back. She says, Well, you know what? I got to go back to that store tomorrow. If it's still there, I'll take that as a sign. We never discussed it after that. And when we were up there in April, mom went up with me in April, and the ex-wife texted me. She said, hey, can you, do you mind if I come over? I've got that journal for your mom. No. And uh, she brought, and I did, yeah. And she, and I didn't tell mom that that's what she was bringing, but she brought it over, and mom's like, I'm just about filled that journal up. You got me. Oh, so, sweet. I, journaling's great. It helps. Uh, and saying it out loud, like you going before that church and saying, this is my story. Absolutely. You're making it real for other people. So that's why I said, say I'm going to do the yoga. Okay. We'll <laughs> do it. I'm actually getting ready to start um, an exercise class with another friend of mine. Exercise so. is good, too. Yep. We're trying to get into it. It is, and um, Janine, who owns the coffee shop, her and I mm-hmm. were talking before you got here, and there's a phrase that I've been using about how everything is spiritual. And if you go into that exercise practices, this is a spiritual discipline to help me work through this anger. You yeah. know, 
everything is spiritual. The, the, the anger is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Why is this anger here? So I'm definitely working through it. It's getting better. It's getting better because I'm. I've, I finally admitted that it was there. You finally said it out loud. I finally said it out loud, and I'm working through it. And so that helps a lot. At least to you know just admit that it's there. That was a big problem for me. It took me two years to admit that it was there. Did you know it was there? Is you just like was it like this underlying? There's something there, and I don't know what it is. Uh, I think that was kind of where I was. Um, I was. It was like I was trying to. St- to stuff it down and then it would just explode on my family you know my kids my husband and um it was it was just ugly it was ugly and it would it would just bottle up inside me and I would get physically sick and just nauseous and it was it was just not pretty at all and I finally just realized you know Heath and I finally sat down and had a real candid conversation and I just realized that I was just I was just mad. I was mad at the world. I was mad at him. I was mad at the kids. I was just mad. And I finally just kind of sat down and just traced it back. And I was just, I was just mad. I was mad that my dad was gone. Yeah. I was mad at how it happened. I was just mad. Over the unsaid, the unresolved. Yep. You know, I'm not mad at where he is because I know where he is. Right. It would just, it just all happened so fast. And I was just, you know, I just, I don't think I ever really dealt with it. That was the big thing that my mother dealt with was anger. And I remember almost kicked the funeral director in the head. Uh, he come up to her and he's like, and it's, it's those platitudes that people say to you when somebody dies. Yeah. They, they mean good, but they have no idea what they're saying. And they're just the, saying something to say it. They're just saying something to make themselves feel better. And, and I've had people, because when I was in the ministry, I'd, I'd have people come up to me and they're like, uh, I just don't know what to say. I said, well, then don't. Don't say anything. Here, here's the one thing you can say that's okay. I'm sorry. And then shut up. There's a Jewish practice called sitting Shiva. And so when I go to visit you in a loss... In that seven-day period where you're grieving, um, there's a lot that takes place in that. But one of the things in there is the only thing I am allowed to say to you without being spoken to is I'm sorry. And then after that, I don't say anything until you speak to me. I think that's good. I wish we taught that. <laughs> Everybody needs to listen to that. Right, because that funeral director comes up to mom and she's crying and uh, it's just before the funeral. It's the first time she's seen the body since we carried him out of the house. And she's experiencing what she should experience. And it's okay that she experienced it. Um, it took me a while to tell her that because she didn't want to hear it. And um, he's like, well, if you could just pull... I'm going to go into my little southern preacher voice. <gasps> if you could just pull back the bales of heaven and look in, and you'd see he's in a better place and you wouldn't want him to come back. And she turned around that Scotch-Irish... <laughs> Short southern red of a woman. She turned around. And she says, "No, I would want him back. I'm selfish. Don't take this away from me." And uh, my daughter, who's a roller derby girl, starts stepping toward that guy, <laughs> and I'm like, "She's about to punch him. I'm about to kick him in the head." Oh. And so Kaylee gets my mom and diverts her, and I'm like, "You got to go, dude." So he walked away, and one of the first things I said in the in the eulogy was, "We're angry." And that's okay. Don't take that away from us. 
Don't tell me he's in a better place. Don't tell me he's happier. That's not, as, as true as that may or may not be, yeah. we're angry. Don't. Try to soothe us. Let us go through it. You know, and I spoke very much to that. It's probably a eulogy that you don't get, oh. typically. I can understand that. Right. I very much understand it. Yeah, and your anger is perfectly okay. And I, and I even went so far as to say it's okay to yell at God. It's okay well, to I mean, be angry with God. he already knows when you're mad. Right. I mean, well, he gave you that emotion. Yeah. I mean, he already knows. I even went to that passage where uh, Joseph, is it Joseph, I'm going to get my Bible characters wrong, but um, Jacob, Jacob wrestles with God. Yeah. He argues with him. He goes to the mat with God. They fight. And he walks away with a blessing and forever scarred with a lamp. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he has a new name called Israel. And the word Israel means he who wrestles with God. An entire nation is named. The chosen people of the divine is known for wrestling with God. So it's okay for you to be angry. It's okay for you to be mad. It's okay for you to say it out loud to him. And mom, was, and mom struggled with that, with her Southern Christian tradition of we don't question God. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I mean, I understand that I know it's okay for me to be angry. I just know that it's not okay for me to stay here. And that's what I'm working through. Right. It's a season that you're in. Right. It's a season that you're in. You said yeah. something interesting, too, that oftentimes when I don't know why I'm angry, I'm just angry. I rarely take it out on the true source of my anger. You know, you were saying you took it out on your husband, you took it out on your family, and, and that's the sad part. We take it out on the ones that we love the most. Yeah, and they have a hard time dealing with that. You know, with, with Hayden, he, he understands that he gets a lot of it because he and I are so alike, we, we mm. fight a lot. And uh, with Heath, he understands that he gets a lot of my crap. Mm-hmm. He he gets it. He gets the the most of. He sees the really ugly yeah, side. He he gets the most of my crap, and he really doesn't deserve it. I have to apologize to him a lot. Um, but when when I take it out on Michaela, she really doesn't understand it. No. At all, and so uh, that's when when I really have to pull it back and say, "All right, check yourself." Yeah, you got to set your boundaries. Yeah. For yeah. your anger. Yeah. Okay, I've got this feeling coming up. Yeah, that's when I have to just take a step back, walk out of the room and say, okay, this is not okay. This right. is not okay at all. Right, or be like your friend, that thought come through my head. Yeah. I don't need to chase this thought. I yeah. need to go put this beast or deal with this beast. And That's one of the things I've learned over the years because <clears throat> when I was going through my darkness, I was angry and I didn't know it. And I remember after the divorce and after a couple of years, my son and his best friend who, if, if Nick wasn't growing up in my house, Levi was growing up in Nick's house. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's how that went. Yeah. So they were there. And one day they're like, you're not angry anymore. Like, what do you mean? Dude, you were always angry. Well. You were always angry and Levi said that as a child for a long time he didn't understand why and then as he started seeing what we were going through and what all was taking place he's like I don't know why you weren't more angry 
in dealing with it. But, um, you know, and now having been to that dark side, I find myself starting to get angry now. And I just like you, I have to, okay, let's breathe. Let's do a couple of stretches or yoga type things. And I was at work one day and something was going on and I just go over to the side and I'm just doing my thing. And, uh, this guy comes up and he goes, uh, you okay? I'm getting there. He, I said, why? He said, you just went all yoga stuff on me. <laughs> he says, you're over here doing this breathing thing. You're just standing in a certain... I wasn't doing like one of the crazy poses. I mean, you can just see that in the middle of a plant. You know, <laughs> I'm just over standing and stretching and just kind of let myself, okay, I know this is what's going on. And, but what I'm proud of you is that you're learning these things and that it's a continuous process because by all rights and means after losing your father and then dealing with this anger you could very easily be right back where you were especially being on surgery thank you thank you I'm proud of where I am today because it could be a much different story Mm. if I didn't have the the accountability that I have and the people that I have around me, it could have been a much different story. So we've talked a lot about faith. How central your faith has been with this. Do you deal with people who are agnostic against faith or I mean, how do you how do you share with them when they don't want anything to do with God? or church uh well mainly i just i just talk about my story i mean you just tell him what i mean what he's done for me i mean i can't really deny right what he's done for me you know if someone doesn't want to believe for themselves then you know i I can't really make make somebody believe but I can't deny what he's done for me and my story because it is what it is. Right. Because, I, you know, it, it happened. It's happening. You know, it is happening. It's going to continue to happen. And I can't deny that. And I will continue to share my story as much as anybody wants to hear it. And Well, I think earlier, I don't know if we were recording yet, but you were talking about how people will sit in the parking lot for weeks. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And you have people in the parking lot. We do. We do because that was one of the things um, that, that we began to notice. You know, one of the, uh, we said one of the hardest walks is from the car to the front door. Mm. You know, I can remember the very first day that I went into the doors of Celebrate Recovery. I spent the entire drive there praying, God, please don't let me know anybody here. I don't want anybody to know that I'm walking through this door. I don't want to know anybody. And uh, my daddy went with me that first night. Yeah. And uh, as we were walking in the door, he knew the very first person that we saw. And they come running up to my daddy and give him a big old hug. Hey, hey, how are you doing? And I was like, you've got to be kidding. And, uh, well, you didn't pray that not daddy didn't know anybody. Oh, I know. I didn't get that specific. <laughs> I was like, but, um, So anyway, uh, but we have so many people. I know one of the guys that I do uh, newcomers with. 
he, he has the same story. He said, you know, I don't wear sunglasses or a baseball cap. And the very first night he came in, he had both of them on. You know, there's so many people that come in that don't want to be known. They don't want to be seen. And, you know, there's so many times we just want to walk up beside him and say, it's okay. We know you, you may have a problem being here, but we just want you to know we're glad you're here. We just want you to come in, and it's, it's a safe place. You're, and if you don't want to come in? You, you don't have to say a word. Just come on in and just hang with us. It's good. And uh, so, yeah, we, we know that there's a lot of times people don't want to get out of the car. That's why we have people in the parking lot that say, it's cool. That's cool. If you want to just sit out here for a little bit, you know, we'll hang out here with you if you want to um, until you feel comfortable coming inside. If you don't, do you mind if we just hang out here with you for a little bit? You know, it, it's okay until you're ready. It's fine, you know, and then sometimes when people come inside, it may take them a month or two before they even say anything. That's fine. Come on in here and just hang out with us. Listen to what we have to say. Sometimes there's, you know, there's a lot of healing in just listening to what other people are going through. You know, then they can understand that they're not alone. Just listen to what some of these other people are saying. That is true. There's a lot of healing in just listening to other people. I found that out a lot. I know that when I was going through my dark times I I wanted to wear a mask I didn't want you to know and then when there were people that I wanted to talk to they don't know how to talk about it and you know you're lonely and that's the worst that's the worst you don't want to let the people you work with and the people closest to you know even though they know um You just don't want to admit it. The worst part for me was just at night alone. Mm-hmm. At night alone. Um, I I still enjoy an adult beverage, but I certainly know where my limits are. And I certainly know in the winter, because I, I never believed in uh, seasonal affective disorder. I never believed in that stuff, right? I mean... And uh, I find myself on a therapist couch in the Pacific Northwest. And I had a lot of stress going on in my life and a lot of other stuff. And my therapist was like, yeah, you've got this, which is normal. Everybody deals with stuff like that. Everybody's got problems in their marriage. Everybody's got problems at work. Everybody's got teenagers. There's something else going on with you. You're not crazy. You don't have psychotic issues. There's nothing diagnosable. He said, let's go get some blood work done. And so I go and get my blood work done. I find out that I'm critically low on B12 and I'm critically low on uh, vitamin D. Hmm. And I live in the Pacific Northwest, which is above a certain parallel. There's very little sun in the winter. And even when there is sun, it's raining. So you need to lay out. <laughs> right, right. And so they put me on, my doctor sees this blood work come by and he's like, okay, you're going on emergency prescription level vitamin D and B12 shots now what and so I I go on this regime and then we fly the family and I fly with another family down to Phoenix and there was a couple things that happened one night and I remember the kids asking their mother what's wrong with dad she said what do you mean what's wrong with your dad well if that would have went down last night he'd have been mad and she said this is your dad on sunshine (laughs) And they're like, what? She said, yeah, this is your dad with 
sunshine. That's hysterical. She said, this is your dad that I knew when we lived in Tennessee and Kentucky. And then we flew down for my birthday, my 40th birthday. And we, my mother rented a house out of Tahawasi. My brother and his family was there. My family was there. And uh, one of the benefits about moving away is I'm not with all my family. <laughs> so I'm there with all my family, right? And there's, you know, the different familial dramas that go, that take place. And again, uh, it was right over my birthday. And again, the kids go to their mother and said, okay, if that would have went down, what's wrong with dad? She said, I'm telling you, this is your dad. Sunshine. <laughs> On sunshine. That's when I became a believer in seasonal affective disorder. And that's when I became more cognizant of how what I put into my body right. affects it. So fast forward a couple of years ago, I'm living in Tennessee. I'm working midnights, seven days a week. It's the winter. It's over a holiday. Uh, there's some key holidays in the winter. Well, Thanksgiving and Christmas are the key ones that are very difficult for me emotionally. Um, so it's very easy for me to get into myself. I had a really bad, dark weekend. And I remember on Sunday afternoon thinking, what the hell am I doing? Why have I been doing this? What's been going on? You know, I start this beating myself up thing. And then, and then I got back into the, okay, wait a minute. I haven't been eating right. I'm not getting sunshine. I'm drinking way too much. Uh, it's this emotional stuff. Okay. So here's what I need to do. So I, I began that process of trying to manage those things the best I can. And, and then setting boundaries. Because I know that it's winter. And there's certain things that I don't need to engage in or allow myself to go or rabbit holes to go down. So I was able to pull myself out. Um... And I encourage that to a lot of people. You've got to be aware of those things. Absolutely. And is that one of the things that you learn in recovery is you find these? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you definitely become more self-aware of, um, of things, definitely with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know um, a, lot of, a lot of what I can and cannot tolerate, things that I need to be around, things that I don't need to be around, people. Um, Ooh. Definitely people that um, are uh-huh. toxic to be around, um, relationships that, um, that are just not, not healthy. Um, those are some that, that need to be severed or not, not, to be, not to be around within limits. Right. Because uh, some of those people can um, cause you stress. Cause you stress. <laughs> yeah. And that's true, especially when you think about holidays. You're going to be around sometimes family. Yes. Uh, people that may cause some of these issues. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, uh, and not specifically family, but I know that there are certain, and not ruling out family either. I'm just saying, in general, that there are certain types of people that I have to be around sometimes. Because of whatever reason, it could be a work event, it could be a party that I'm going to, it could be just something, but I know that I need to take small doses. Mm-hmm. And, and when that small dose is becoming too much, I need to either leave or go someplace else. Right. You got to know your limits. Right. And there's sure. nothing wrong with boundaries. Absolutely not. One of my favorite books is called Boundaries. Is it? Who wrote that? Oh, she's got it. 
Oh, yeah, Dr. Henry Cloud. Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. The book is called Boundaries. Take control of your life. I love this subtitle, When to Say Yes, How to Say No. When to say yes, how to say no. Yep. No is hard. Mm-hmm. It's one of our required readings for celebrate recovery. <laughs> it's one of our required readings. Yes, it's good. Especially when you're a sponsor. You have to be able to set boundaries. So becoming a sponsor, I mean, obviously you don't come in, you go through the step process, and they say, okay, now you're a sponsor. Well, you have to be asked to be a sponsor. You don't just walk up to say somebody and say, guess what, I'm your sponsor. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, but... To celebrate recovery, let, I mean, say you're going in there, you just got through the step process. Mm-hmm. You're a year and a half in, you finished the step process. I come in, I need a sponsor, and I come up and say, hey, will you be my sponsor? Would Celebrate Recovery come back and say, well, wait a minute, we, we got some training we want you to go through before you can be available? Like, uh, for, for me, if I've already been through it? Right, do they have like a sponsor training? Uh, well, once you go through the step study, that is your sponsor training. Okay. So, yeah. I would assume um, you probably don't want, you probably want same gender. Oh, yes. Required. Sponsors. Right. Right. You, I could not be your sponsor at all. Because with that comes some transference. <laughs> I, I was always careful. Um when I'm talking to somebody, especially a female, that's going through a difficult time, um, I was always very limited um, because I understand this idea of transference. Um, you want to open that up and tell them why, what transference would be and what it would do and what happens? Or I don't know that I'm familiar with that word. Transference would be that I'm coming to you, you're, you're helping me out. Right. You're listening to me or about things that my spouse... Mm-hmm. either won't or can't or doesn't understand. And so now I start transferring this emotional connection to you. Right. The great thing about the um, the team that we have is that I have got a group of uh, male leaders. Mm-hmm. And what I would do is that as soon as you and I started talking and I could kind of figure out exactly what you were talking to, I can immediately send you to the person in the male leadership of who you can connect to and start talking to then. So there would not be a long process of a conversation that you and I would be having. I would immediately send you to one of them. See, and that's what I did like when I was ministry because somebody come up to me and they're like, well, do you do counseling? No, I don't. Well, so-and-so's pastor does counseling in the church. It's okay. Here's a couple of reasons. One, I'm not a counselor. I'm not. I understand a lot about it. Right. And, I, and, and I also understand my limitations in it. So I will talk to you maybe once or twice. Uh, depending on who you are will depend on where I talk to you at. Mm-hmm. So if you're a female, I'll talk to you in some place public. Right. Uh, and, it, and so we'll do that like this. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you in some place public. If you're a male, hey, we might just sit in the parking lot and talk. But... My goal is to help you find help right? and to go. And the other thing is I'm going to be teaching one day and you're going to think I'm talking about you because <laughs> you're going to tell me stuff in there. 
And you're going to think, and I'm, you may not have been on my mind when I was preparing that message, but that's the other thing. So that's why I wouldn't do it. But the whole idea of transference is it, it's easy to lead to some very inappropriate relationships. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And, and I don't mean inappropriate just like uh, we're chatting at two in the morning when we shouldn't be, you know, uh, I mean, some very, well, infidelity. Yep. Say it out loud, right? Yeah. A friend of mine laughs because I said we don't, we don't want to become tender. Right. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the aim of our ministry. That's not the aim of recovery. Right. We want, we want it to stay gender specific. I agree. So it's good to hear that. So if I wanted to find a Celebrate Recovery group near me, what do I do? Uh, if you uh, type in just in Google uh, CR Locator, there is, an, um, or there is an app, a CR app that you can download on your phone. Uh, there is a locator on, on just on Google that you can type in and you can find one anywhere. They'll show you the, the nearest one. I think there's actually one located in Sweetwater. Mm. I think that's actually the closest one around here as of the last time that I looked. Um, but, yeah, there are some in this, this local area. And it doesn't have to be CR. That's just the one that you found. That is that is the one that, that I promote is Celebrate Recovery, yes. Yeah, that's the one that made a difference in your life. But if there's yes. not one of those, there's, there's probably an AA or uh, I'm Alcoholics sure there Anonymous, is. Yeah, um, Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah, I'm not sure with, with, with AA that is strictly alcohol. With NA it is strict. Is, is it not? Not NA? really. I mean, because a lot of people go there that, like you said, and I've never been to an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. I probably should just to experience it and see what's yeah. going on. Just like I probably should go to a CR thing, just experience and see what's going on. That would give me resources. Right. Um, but just like in CR, my experience with AA from other people telling me is that it might be a spouse. Yeah. Or somebody that's going in there. They're just trying to understand. And, yeah. Or maybe they've gone and said, look, I went. I'll go with you right. to these first few. Absolutely. I know with, 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 with Celebrate Recovery, it is literally anybody with any problem. You know, it could be... Grief. Grief, pornography, anything. Anxiety, depression, overspending. Yeah. Could be literally anything. And do a lot of people do like your dad? They go in there, they're not having the issue, they're just walking in with somebody? Absolutely. And a lot of time, people that walk in with somebody end up staying because they've realized... There's something here. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's something here that, that that I'm struggling with. I didn't realize that I struggled with this. I bet I could learn something from this. And we all have something we struggle with. Absolutely. It's just some people don't realize it until they walk through the door. That's been my problem in uh, <clears throat> attending churches since I've left the ministry. Um, and when I moved back here, there's a couple of churches I think, okay, I'm going to go try it. And I go in there, and um, I'm like, the people you're preaching to aren't here. Yep. Does that make sense? Oh, I get it. I get it. Does that make sense? Yep. And I, you're missing such a great opportunity. Or they're talking about some political issue mm-hmm. or some social issue that's not in here. Yeah. I used to struggle when I was in the ministry with the fact that I wasn't full-time. I didn't have the cherry line bookcase in my office, and uh, I wasn't this full-time pastor with a staff. That was a big problem for me for a long time. And I'm talking to a friend of mine who was, and he told me he was jealous because I had to work full-time. Yeah. I said, why are you jealous of me? He said, you're in a different world that I'm not in. 
and you get to see what the people in your church are actually experiencing. I said, no, don't. Mm. And he has to do so many things to make that happen where to me it's just, you know, I'm dealing with traffic every day. I'm dealing with the office politics every day. I'm dealing with all these other things. And then he went on to say that the other thing that he was jealous of me about, he says, I have to stick to a certain script where you can come in and talk about these things where at that time in Washington State, this was before it was legal nationally, they were dealing with the issue of gay marriage mm-hmm. in Washington State. <clears throat> and I was able to speak to it more freely than he would have because he needs to stick to the doctrine, the right. dogma. He needs to stick to the without having to look into it where I came at it as a very different view that okay we gotta love these people we gotta we gotta instead of exclude them we gotta bring them in and right and be kind and loving right. and maybe maybe what we're thinking the Bible says isn't what the Bible says I got a whole sermon on this on yeah. YouTube but um, he says I can't do that even though I may agree with you if I was to speak that truth I don't have a job Monday my kids don't have a home we don't have insurance and he was and I guess when it comes to issues like what you're talking about, how many pastors could actually get up there and kudos to yours and normalize it and say it's okay and these are real people and we're not going to ostracize them. We're not going to tell them they can't be part of the choir. How many pastors could do that and keep their job? Yeah. Might be a different world we're living in, huh? Yeah. Yeah, if... if the church was more like the recovery groups. Yeah. I always said that um, when I first walked in to celebrate recovery, I realized that those people were different because I felt like that that they were real. And that was something that there it wasn't any judgment. And for me, that was something that was totally new. I explained that to somebody by saying <clears throat> um, their heart is closer to that of the divine than some of the people who claim to be close to the divine. Yeah. And um, I wish churches could be more authentic. So one person told me, he said, you should start another church. Call it the no BS zone. <laughs> Just let people come in and be real. Yeah. Let them come in and be real. Let them be honest. Let that woman be able to stand up front and say, all I want to do right now is get high. And love her. Love her where she is. Love her where she is and say, hey, that was what I needed right at that moment. I just needed people to love me where I was. And Heath did. He did. The and CR does. people loved me where I was. Yeah, they went to you that night not yep. knowing you. Yep. Absolutely not knowing me. All right. Well, your family's here. Thank you for your time. Well, thank if somebody you so wants much to for follow you, come. do you have a website? Do you have some um, way? I do not have a website yet, but. Um, you know, you can just look up, you know, Celebrate Recovery in general. And yep. um, we do have Celebrate Recovery Golden Triangle, and that is the Celebrate Recovery that I go to. And so we, we post stuff there all the time on Facebook. And so you can generally find pictures of me, stuff that we're doing all the time on there. And whether they do Celebrate Recovery Golden Triangle, if you do a Celebrate, Celebrate Recovery near me or you do a search on Facebook, you'll find a Celebrate Recovery. Yes. So that could be an easy first step, too. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Get into a Celebrate Recovery private group, mm-hmm. and then um, there'll be a lot of help there. Yep. Paige. Absolutely. Paige LeBaron, people's people. Thank wow, you so much. from the beanery.
Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Hey, may grace and peace and mercy be upon you as you share this story with other people. Thank you so much. Thank you.